0: Welcome to the See Me Now podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Coleman, here with my co-host, Caitlin Birdsall, and we are joined today by Colorado Mesa University Associate Professor of Computer Science, Carl Castleton. Welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thank you. I appreciate being here.
0: Well, what's really neat about you is you are actually a maverick. You come from a family of mavericks. You are an alum, um, started back in 1986. Is that right?
1: That, that's correct. Yeah. The, the first degree I started working on here was a an electronics technology associate degree, like repairing computers, video games, the old pinball kind of video games, and stuff like that.
0: And you are a Western Colorado kid through and through. Can you start by talking about your family's history and um, kind of the mark that they made on this region?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so my uh, uh, my family goes back to I don't know when people settled this area. Um, so my uh, my mom and my mom grew up in uh, Silverton. And uh, Ridgeway and and Uray and and those towns. And in fact, uh, Orvis, uh, the Orvis Plunge, that's between between Ridgeway and Uray, is uh, named for the Orvis Ranch that's just behind there. And that Orvis Ranch is named uh, for—is Carl Orvis's ranch, and I'm named for that Carl. So that is my grandfather's ranch.
0: Yeah, if anyone knows the— the nudist, right? The nudist. Hot yeah, springs. I think it is that
1: way now. I don't know. I, we're not in control. Of, I don't believe now, but I could be wrong. There could be some arm of the Orvis family that's in charge of it.
0: And so
2: we'll talk a lot today about computer science and mathematics and kind of the future and where we're going. But I wanted to take a minute to talk about what got you interested in mathematics and computer science.
1: So, so I was. Uh, I, I think I'm more typical than people think, but. I started out with just not wanting to compete with people with high school diplomas. So I didn't come here like my high school guidance counselor was like, I don't know your college material. This is what I'm saying? And so I started, uh, I started just, I want to get that associate's degree in electronics technology. And then then when I started to do that, I learned a little bit of programming and I had done some programming on my own. And so then uh, I just said, hey, I'll do the computer science degree. And then when I was doing the computer science degree back then, it had a significant amount of math. So I ended up doing math. Just what I'm saying. So then, like, I started in 1986. I finished in in 1992 or something like that with uh, with a uh, an associates in electronics and a double bachelors in mathematics and computer science. And then, of course, I went on to get a master's. So it's like for somebody who started out with, uh, I'm just going to get an associates. I was like 12 years later, you know, when I finally got my master's.
2: And I love that story because I think hopefully it's inspiring to some of our students who maybe don't always feel like they fit in, or especially if they're first generation and they're not quite sure if college is for them. I think you're a shining example of once you put yourself out there and and start on that path, you never know where it's going to lead you.
1: Yeah, yeah there, there's also, it, it's, my life is so much easier, you know, I know it sounds strange to say that than, than my family members, like, Again, historically, my family are hard rock miners. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard of hard rock holidays where people demonstrate how well they can do tug of war or fill a bucket full of gravel. Just what I'm saying. I used to compete in those things. And then now, you know, I, I sit in air conditioned rooms and people try and take care of you because, you know, it's there. And the only difference is that I I got a degree that, you know, that's the way it is when you get it. So it made a huge difference, but it also, it also had other tangential things. Like one of the things I tell people is I'm a first generation, uh, uh college graduate, but my mom also has a degree and people are like, what's up with that? And I was like, well, it turns out that, uh, I joined the national guard to pay for college cause they didn't know how financial aid worked. So I ended up doing all those things. And when she basically saw that there was financial aid and stuff available, she was like, I'm going to go back to school. So she actually graduated after I did. <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? So yes, my mom, you know, had a, a bachelor's degree from Colorado Mesa University, but she got hers after mine.
2: I love that story. That's amazing. And you even had a couple classes together, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. She she used to be really annoyed by my behavior of how I would uh, how I didn't seem to study, but do birdie well. Uh, one one of the things this is my favorite story to tell about this is that she would she would highlight her entire book, and I still to this day still can understands like, why, why do you highlight like the, you'd, you'd see her book and everything was just covered in yellow highlighter. It's like, are you marking what you read? Which normally people highlight the important sections or what they think is going to be on a test. So like one day I was late getting, I, I worked full time. I was, I was a busy person. So I was late and I hadn't studied for this test and so then I said, mom, mom, let me borrow your book. You know what I mean? And I'm like flipping through it for like 10 minutes before the test, you know, I mean, just trying to And And then, of course, I got a better grade than her on the test. And she's like, this just isn't fair. But, but it's a little bit about efficiency. You know, f- you're used to studying. You're used to picking up what the professor is looking for. So you, you pick that stuff up. But.
0: And you got into computer science in the 80s. And that's when the computer boom, if you will, yeah, happened. What was it like learning about a, 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 a whole new world <laughs> that has so, now taken over our
1: world? Yeah, so, I have to say what, what, what is most amazing to me is that back in the day, you could do almost any stupid trivial thing on a computer and people thought you were like the next super hacker. Just what I'm saying? Uh, you know, the movie war games was out with Matthew Broderick about the same time. So like, if you did anything, little stupid thing on a computer, it was like, oh, you're the Matthew Broderick. You're going to be the super actor. Um, and what's funny about it is nowadays, unfortunately, and I think this is part of the reason why we struggle to get students who are interested in computer science. uh, If they do simple things that are on the path to really good skills, they don't get as much of that peer feedback. They don't get as much of that public feedback of like, Hey, that's really cool. Just what I'm saying, you know. They're like, "Hey, that looks nothing like." If they did a simple video game, well, it doesn't look anything like my 3D game that I just purchased for seventy bucks. But it's on the path there. Just what I'm saying. But but so that that's one of the things that was really nice about the 80s is uh, the computers were didn't do anything. they were terrible. Like like the machines we have now literally have a million times more memory than those. Just what I'm saying. But but it was at least if you did something relatively easy, people really appreciated that you did that.
2: What are some of the other major changes that you've seen going from the '80s to 2023 when it comes to computer science or computers in general?
1: Yeah, just the prevalence of it. There's so many. There's so many now. Like you know, everybody in this room probably has three of them dripping off of them or something like that. You know what I mean? Where before is like um, the first. Like I, I used to build robots, and the first ones I built we didn't even have a computer on them. We had to build analog circuits to, to make them do stuff because it would have been thousands and thousands of dollars to put any kind of a computer on them. Nowadays you can buy $5 chips that are more powerful than those first machines I had. So that is definitely more accessible and they're more prevalent. Um, that by the way, that's all why there's other problems like, you know, cybersecurity and things like that. But, uh, so they're there, but they're also just more massively bigger. It's kind of the more, more the same in sense of like I used to play around with 4,000-byte machines, and now you have 4 billion-byte machines. You know what I mean? So there's just there's just more of it.
2: And that scale sometimes, I think, is so hard to comprehend going from the 4,000 to 4. Did you say million? Billion. 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 Yeah, billion. like that's a hard scale to wrap your mind around that just in the last 30, 40 years that it's expanded in that capacity.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's tremendous, the amount of computing power. The computers I did worked on the order of like, they could do uh, a million operations in a second. The ones we have now can do, uh, t- you know, 2 billion. And if you have multiple cores, everybody's got, I got to have the eight core, whatever, just what I'm saying. So then multiply by eight, that answer, you know, your machine, unfortunately, most of the time is waiting around for you to press a key. It's kind of a sad thing that it's so, so amazingly powerful. And it's like, did you press a key? Did you press a key? Which is <laughs> in some sense what it's been doing.
0: Yeah, you press the button to start your car. Some of these cars, you're like, is it on? I think it's on. <laughs> but it's oh, so quiet. It's probably on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, your area of expertise, computer science, uh, you've talked a little bit about robots. You dabble in, is it machining? Is it the computing piece? How- uh, well,
1: so, so since I have that degree in, uh, in electronics, I, I know a little bit about how, like, the electronic circuits work to, like, make motor controllers that then you tie to computers to then make something move. Um, but, uh, those projects like the DARPA robotics challenge that we took students to and stuff like that, um, that was to build a robot, to go into a failing nuclear facility and fix it. Cause humans are awful good at building things and building places that are completely safe when everything's running right. But when things go bad, it's no safe place for humans at all. And if you're familiar with like, um, uh, you know, the Fukushima nuclear power plant, you know, they were sending people in to do as little, you know, do something quick and get out so they wouldn't get too much exposure. So DARPA had a challenge to say, build a robot for that. And so we started to build a robot. Uh, some of the professors wrote the software. We wrote the software from the ground up and we built a machine. Our machine's about $20,000 machine. The other DARPA challenge machines like the Boston dynamics chassis, you see doing flips and stuff. Uh, we had an opportunity to maybe work with those, but we built our own instead. Uh, and ours was about $20,000 in parts. Those were one and a half million. You know what I mean? Uh, and there, ours was also weaker, which I know sounds weird. It was, It's more timid, but part of the idea was we didn't want a robot that was so strong you really had to worry about safety concerns around it. Whereas some of the other robots, I think, you know, it would, it would harm you pretty quickly even with some, you know, rudimentary glitch of behavior. So,
0: Would you categorize yourself maybe as like a futuristic nerd, if you will, like looking at what these robots are doing in the future and, and do you like get involved I don't know, entrenched in these articles that are talking about what's coming up with. Yeah. So my YouTube
1: feed annoys my wife, that's for sure. So yeah, it's a nice mix of uh, videos about robots and motor controllers and uh, mathematics and stuff like that. And um, yeah, so I spend a lot of free time delving into that stuff. Um, I kind of think of it as play though. So For me, it's kind of the point where um if i want to build something i can just set about building it and it's not not a lot of effort you know i mean for students this is one of the, the biggest things for students right is they got to get over that it's okay to kind of feel like you're at the edge of your skill set because that's the time you're really learning something you know what i mean and you know so doing it as many years as i have i i like being right at the edge of my skill set so even if i don't know how to do what's coming up next i'm actually excited because i'm learning something new where you know for many students you know they they end up having that idea of like oh no i should i should know this I was like, no, no, that's what you're here to do is learn, you know, wh- you're here to learn that stuff that you don't know how to learn. So it's it's a big deal. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't say a futurist, uh, you know, you could say a poor Elon Musk or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: like, <laughs> you know, I like that. Like, that's, that's what we're titling this podcast. <laughs> no, is that right? that'll, that'll
1: probably give me some attention maybe I don't need, but that's fine.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so when you do think about the future and all the possibilities, what gets you excited? And then maybe what also gives you some pause or hesitation when it comes to Robotics or computer science, and well, I'll, um,
1: I'll start with the stuff that gives me pause first, because uh, if you actually look at how most uh, cybersecurity events happen, it's because people take advantage of what people don't know about how technology works, right? So, so like, uh, I'll, I'll give you just a, a a quick sketch example of how it works with uh, uh, phone hackers, where they basically will send you an email saying hey, you know, we're Microsoft uh, security and your machine's infected, call this number. And they're just blasting that email out everywhere. And then what happens is some people don't recognize it's just a scam, so they end up calling it. And the person says, hey, bring up your Windows machine, bring up this application, and look, there'll be all these errors. Well, those errors are hackers getting into your machine. Now, they're not, actually. They're just normal errors that occur. You know, Windows has some things and it's just logging these mistakes that it made but then they use that to say, okay, well then now what I want you to do is log your machine into this particular thing and let me take control of your machine. And then they do things like lock you out of your machine for a while, go to your banking app, remove money, just sort of, I'm saying stuff like that. So, so the real, the, the, the not understanding what's going on with the machine is being taken advantage of, and that's going to happen again and again and again, just sort of saying. And so the, the real, you know, uh, uh, the real issue with cybersecurity is that kind of personal connection. I don't know how this really works. Just what I'm saying. So somebody can come in and, and and uh, s- you know, swindle me based on what I don't know. So that's my biggest concern. The thing I look forward for, I, I love technology. I think chat GPT is going to be fun. I've been playing with it and trying it out. You know, like my students were all like, hey, I'm going to start writing my papers with it. I was like, I'm going to start writing my multiple choice questions with it. And they were looked at me in horror that I would now be able to produce way many more multiple choice questions, just sort of saying, but, but, but every technology could be is good or bad depending on how it's used. Right. I, I I use this example all the time with students. Fire was probably man's first technology and it could cook your food. If it was a little bit dodgy, just what I'm saying, but it could also burn down your hut. Right. You know what I mean? And so it's, everything is like that. So, so we shouldn't be afraid of technologies. Um, but, uh, if you're willing to be like, I don't want to know how it works, then you're going to be susceptible to those to those kind of uh that swindling that occurs
2: it's a great analogy That's what I'm saying. i love that analogy and especially i mean as a newer parent myself i i do i have fears around technology and with raising a daughter and soon to be son but i try to calm myself by thinking about parents have always had these fears i'm sure back in the day it was radio and then it was black and white television and then it was color television and then it was the internet and yeah, we cool. as humans adjust and adapt and like you said it's it's making sure that we stay informed as users of these technology to make sure that we can use it adequately. And that helps gives me at least a little peace of mind.
1: Well, well and I would say I would take it one step further. You can look for the opportunities in the gaps that are going to exist. Right. You know what I mean? Like, so if, you know, if you, if you're saying, Hey, you know, I didn't want to be a stenopool pool person. Everybody's using word processors now, but if I really am the expert in, in how the word processor works, I'll probably have a, a good career for a while. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And eventually, so, so I would say looking for the opportunities of people saying, You know, this isn't going to be happening anymore. Do this instead. Right.
0: Before you became a faculty member and teaching the classroom, you worked in the field and you were a part of the department of energy and Mm -hmm. did some work there. Can you elaborate on that?
1: Yeah. So, so, uh, when I, when I was uh, working on my bachelor's, I got hired right out of uh, school by this uh, place called Pacific Northwest National Lab. Uh, it's in Washington state. Uh, I had done some interning with them in the summers, and they liked me. so you know they they worked to try and hire me, and it worked out. Um, and uh, Department of Energy for people who don't know is the people with the skill set on how to handle and and uh, maneuver and work with nuclear materials. Just what I'm saying. So uh, everything that could be used for weapons or stuff that's used for medical devices kind of all goes through that. And uh, so so I got hired on there, and uh, I just worked there for. Pretty almost solidly twenty-two years, I did a stint at the EPA National Lab. You know what I mean? And uh it, it was it was it was a good job. It was it was really great. It was more stable. It was during the dot com bubble bursts and stuff like that. So it was a more stable job than some of those. I'd say that's another thing that's kind of interesting with this, is you're gonna join and get some hot new company and then it goes away or something like that. But uh so so it was it was a good job. I really liked it. Um Uh, I learned a lot. You know, I did a lot of integration stuff. Some of the stuff I did was very hardcore mathematics and other stuff was pretty interesting. Kind of like just kind of get it done kind of work.
2: So one area that I know that the U S often struggle, struggles with is individuals who write code. Can you talk to us about how we're maybe preparing students to fill those roles in the future or what what could happen if we don't fill those roles in the future <laughs> yeah
1: yeah this this is my real fear As uh, i i make two jokes for students i the one joke i usually make is like i don't want them resurrecting my body to write code that <laughs> what i'm saying because no one wants to do it but 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 here's the real aspect of it is uh, if we're if we if people who live here and if you agree that there's some boundaries of nations uh you know you should uh, be a little bit concerned that maybe people in our particular nation don't want to do those hardcore technical skills. Just what I'm saying? And and any computer science degree worth its salt probably has a year of something at least as hard as calculus in it. Just what I'm saying? You know, and so if we don't have any U.S. citizens who are interested in doing that, um, then how do we like load code, load update software for our F-16s? You know, um, You know, how do we buy equipment that we're sure doesn't have anything that some other countries put in place that they can maybe take advantage of, right? Like I, I can easily go to probably any piece of equipment, add something to it where I could monitor what it's doing from a distance, just what I'm saying. And you would not know I did anything to the device. So, so we need, we need, you know, us citizen students who are are saying, yeah, a year of, your math as hard as calc, isn't that big a deal. I can get through it. And, and, and Mesa is a great place to come. We have very small class sizes, you know, we're very hands-on, you know, I, I know students who, you know, I've helped with calculus problems and work through stuff, you know, I mean, because that, that's why Mesa's is great, you know, maybe compared to other institutions, I think, is that we really want to see every student succeed. We're not worried about like, well, we only need to keep the top 10 or whatever attitude other places might have.
0: We all use these devices, and like you said, there's a a lack of knowledge that a lot of us have, and that's how we have hackers, and that's why they're so successful. Do you feel somewhat powerful, like the king on the hill, who's like, I know all this stuff, and you know, you can get in, like you were saying, and, and nobody would even know.
1: Yeah. So, well, yeah, I don't want people to worry that I'm doing that. I mean, <laughs> there is an ethical part of this whole skill set, right? Mm-hmm. But, but I'll, I'll relate a story where, like, a, a woman in the community contacted me recently, and she was worried that her her uh, ex-husband who she has a problem with was basically, you know, dealing with uh, her devices and she just doesn't know how to like like I don't know. And I was like, hey, I'm happy to sit with you and walk through. And some of it was just it, it it was less technology and more education of the idea of like, oh no, I don't believe this is true. Like two-factor authentication if you're a faculty member here, they had to add two-factor. I sit on the committee that that was one of the decisions and I was all for it because it's like well if you don't want phishing attacks to work where people just send a link and people happen to put in their mesa username and password if you don't want those things to be successful two factor is a reasonable thing to do and and so so we you know we talked about her doing two factor on her phone account and stuff like that to kind of protect it so so but it was an educational thing it's like I didn't I didn't do so so yeah you are protecting the hardware you are protecting the devices you know what I mean, and physical control of the device is very important. just what I'm saying, but but I would also say that you know educating people so they're not like worried about stuff that isn't really happening is also a, a big part of it as well.
0: Can we chat for a second about TikTok because I know it's back in the headlines about potentially you know the Chinese <laughs> yeah, yeah. government getting our data and our information tracking well, us. Well,
1: so so this is what's funny about it is I know. One of the things, not to get into the COVID controversies or anything, but one of the things people worried about is the government kept tracking them. And I thought what was remarkable at the time is that everybody was letting the Chinese government track them with TikTok. Do you sort of saying? And yeah, they're cool videos. It's fun. It's entertaining. I get all that, but just know what you're getting into. Do you sort of I'm saying? Uh, so the the issue with with uh, with TikTok particularly is like, yeah, what who is in control of that data? What assurances would it take? Like if, if it truly is the Chinese government running it, and I think that is essentially true, you know what I mean? What, what would they, what would they say that would convince you that they're never, ever, ever going to use that data to go? Like, I'm going to start putting ads that I don't like this particular Senator. I don't like this particular, uh, 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 congressman. I don't like this particular candidate because the Chinese government feels like it's better for them. Like, how would you, how would you convince yourself of that? I don't know that you can, Right. And, you know, far more sinister, and this is why the government, the devices the government is in control of, has already said it can't be on a government device. If you have a cell phone that the government is paying for, you know, they're taking TikTok off of it. And and I think it's a reasonable answer. I think it's a reasonable answer. Uh, Do I wish that there was some American group that would get together and make something kind of equivalent to TikTok and then try and get people? But I don't know how you get all the Middle schoolers and high schoolers to to get off a of TikTok onto that. I guess if they, all their parents and grandparents join TikTok, maybe it'll do the best. That's what happened to Facebook.
2: It's true. Facebook and Instagram <laughs> you oh, now they moved it. to TikTok. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, just like so. Literally, I think the U.S. government like make an alternative to TikTok, and then have everybody pay everybody's grandma and mom and dad to join TikTok, and those kids will flock to that other thing.
2: There's a solution. You you heard it here first. (laughs) So you mentioned Elon Musk before, and I was hoping we could talk about that. You actually were one of the first to program a self driving car. Can you tell us about that experience and what that was
1: like? Yeah, this was great. In 2005, well, 2004. DARPA had a challenge to make autonomous cars. And the challenge was to drive 120 some miles in the desert outside, uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, that was called the grand challenge and no, no vehicle went further than seven miles. I think one of the magazines I read, uh, had titled it DARPA's debacle in the desert. Just what I'm saying. So, uh, that's a pretty low bar. So I don't know about you guys, but I'm like, I think I can do better than seven miles. And I started to build my own device, which was kind of a wacky thing. I don't have a lot of money and I'm cheap in general. Um, so, uh, but there was another team in town who had already built a vehicle. They had taken a Nissan Xterra and started like, uh, uh, the, the owner of the vehicle had purchased it brand new, took it home, ripped out the back seats and started to put computer racks in it and stuff like that. And so then, uh, they got to a point where the software they were trying to write was beyond their capabilities and they had interacted with us. And so they asked us to do it. So then like by 2006, we were supposed to be trying to, uh, pass the California driver's test. And we were doing testing out at the uh, fairgrounds here. We actually removed a couple posts out of there because it was so narrow. It was kind of a dicey spot for our car to drive through, um, with permission of the, of the thing. Uh, but then, uh, what, uh, so there was times when I had my son in the driver's seat behind a wheel that's moving itself. I have video. I can share it to you guys. But uh, and as we were driving around and turning on turn signals and passing cars that were standing still, all 2006, 2007, way before Elon was doing it. In fact, some of the people that Elon hired and some of the people that Google hired for theirs were people who were just competitors like us. Uh, I just, am foolish enough not to make a bunch of money at it, I guess, again.
0: <laughs> you like to do it for free and then go back to the classroom. Well, I like
1: the intellectual <laughs> challenge of it, you know. It, it's just it's just trying to push, you know, not everything gets published in papers, right, but pushing the bounds. Like, I, I there was a moment on that team where I talked to the team leader. I'm like, I'm not sure it's possible to code this thing. And then once we understood how to do it, it was like, oh, it's almost trivial. And it was that that effort, you know what I mean? And hopefully all the students listening, right, would be, be like, oh, I recognize that. There was something that I thought was hard and at some point I translated, like, oh, it was easy. But no one had done it before, right? No, there weren't a lot of autonomous vehicles just driving around, you know what I mean? And ours wasn't using AI. Ours was a pure engineered solution. We knew every algorithm we'd run. It wasn't using some neural network that you're not sure how it learned anything. It was all just hand code.
0: Wow, oh, impressive. <laughs> um, can you talk about... The Grand Valley Robotics Team. You created it. It's kind of what yeah, you give I mean, back. Cre- I guess
1: saying I created it sounds like I did it alone, but you know nothing is ever a single person. But but I, I did help start I, uh, uh, the what's called Grand Valley Robotics. It's a five hundred one c three charity. Uh, the intent was to uh, uh, actually have the skills and resources dollar resources available to uh, st- students in high school to build robots to compete in the in the first robotics challenges. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, uh, those are, you build a robot that's about three feet by three feet by three feet and, uh, can, can, uh, you know, basically has essentially a car battery powering the motors. So you have quite a bit of power and stuff like that. And the intent was really, I'll tell you this. I like to do robotics when I'm talking to students because, uh, talking to them about how robots work and showing them robots is way easier to sell than optimizing database queries. So
2: it does sound more fun than optimizing (laughs) database queries. I have
1: to say, I literally have a class where we were talking about that the other day. I was like, yeah, this is, this is not the moment they came here for.
2: (laughs) So can I ask, what was it about teaching? You've got this wealth of knowledge and experience and you've worked on a ton of really cool cutting edge projects. So what was it about teaching that pulled you in?
1: Well, well, when I was, when I was working back as a student, I had done some, uh, teaching for post-secondary people. Like, so once I had learned how to repair computers, I was teaching other people how to repair computers. Uh, my dad is, was an educator at that time. My, uh, my wife's mom was an educator also. My daughter and wife happen to be educators now too. Um, so, so I think it was kind of a thing, but, but this is also my semi-retirement. I want to, I want to make the group of people who replace me. Just what I'm saying. I want to, I want to know it's in good hands in some sense. You know, I want, I want to, the people with the same intellectual curiosity and willing to push themselves or push the technology, I want to know they exist. So.
2: Well, I feel like our students are lucky, lucky to have you in the classroom.
1: Yeah. I, I, I really enjoy teaching students. It is, it is the funnest thing. Like, it, I, I don't know, maybe you guys are, have done this, but you know, there's this moment when you present a problem to them and they've been struggling with it and working with it and trying to get their brain around it. And all of a sudden they break, it breaks loose for them. And then they're so, and, and. And it's hard if you've done this enough. It's hard not to let the cat out of the bag, right? You know, it's hard not to go like, just move that semicolon. You know what I mean? Or whatever. <laughs> so it's hard to just kind of watch and let the moment happen. And if, if they end up missing that moment and it goes on for another week, you're like, oh, they were so close just last week. But but you, but that's what you're trying to give them. Like that is really the the benefit of pushing yourself to the edge of your skill, and then learning that moment is is that huge rush you get from like, oh, I understand this now. So.
2: I have to say that I've really appreciated in our conversation today that you're taking what I would consider complex problems or complex technologies and breaking it down in a way where it's easily understandable for the everyday person that is not a computer science um, whiz or mathematics whiz. But I have to ask you, do you think that there are certain stereotypes about computer science individuals or those that are individuals that are interested in that field? Do you feel like there are certain correct stereotypes or ones that maybe you're breaking the mold
1: on? Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't think it, those stereotypes are in general correct. I do not look like the normal computer science. I'm about six foot two. I did field artillery stuff when I was a kid to, to pay for college and stuff like that. So I was with one college kid going on weekend uh, meetings with a calculus book in my rucksack. (laughs) So I'm pretty different that way. But, um, I would say the idea that people can't communicate stuff, I always, I always felt, I worked at a national lab, like most people had PhDs and the people who understood stuff could explain it to anybody. You know what I mean? And I kind of feel like if you can't really explain it that level, I know it's hard sometimes, especially like I have an assignment in one of my classes where I'm telling you, I was like, students, you got to trust me. This is what you're doing. But I can't tell you more without giving you the answer to what I'm saying. But but that's different, though. That's different than uh, when you're trying to communicate it. You should be able to explain it. If you understand it, you should be able to hit. I hit middle schoolers. I show how to do jump physics, uh, integration of gravity that we teach in a physics class here. I'll show it to middle schoolers because they need it to make Mario jump like Mario does. You know what I mean? And you can explain it. And they won't have a problem with it. And then they'll surprise you with what they do with it once they understand it. So.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much for being here. CMU is lucky to have you. Western Colorado is very lucky that you came back to this region. So thanks again for for making time.
1: I appreciate it. I, I really enjoy it.
0: Thank you for listening to the See Me Now podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.